If you remember from the first part of this topic from John the fourth chapter a couple of weeks ago, I made a statement at that time and I'll make it again. I am convinced that for the most part, and I realize I don't make this statement without exception, I realize there are exceptions to the rule that I'm about to state. But what I have found, at least in my own personal perception, whatever that's worth, in looking at the child of God today, at least for those that aspire to come and assemble on a regular basis with the Lord's church, I am convinced that for the most part, most Christians really desire to live the Christian life. Now many times they stub their toe and many times they're led astray. Many times they fall down and they need to stand back up and that really happens. But I believe that for the most part, most Christians desire to live the Christian life. And that being said, I will say this too. I think for the most part, people would love nothing more than to talk to others about the Lord, about their soul salvation. But the problem is, many times people fall into this category. They don't know what to say. They're afraid because they think they might say the wrong thing. What if they ask me a question that I'm not able to answer? If I cannot respond to them, I've actually heard people say this, Frank, I would love nothing more than to talk to somebody about the Lord, but what if I get into a discussion and they bring up a point that I'm not capable of responding to if I cannot respond to them in a favorable fashion according to God's word, maybe they will leave and we will lose every bit of contact with them and the only chance we might have had, we lost. But listen. You know, Jesus talks about the fact that you and I have a responsibility to those that are lost. They have a responsibility with regards to their own soul salvation, and God has the greatest responsibility of all. He gets the credit, He gets the praise, and He gets the glory because He gives the increase. Later on in John chapter 4, as we draw our remarks to a close later on in our sermon, we're going to talk about some very encouraging words that we need to look at because there are many things that sometimes we are misunderstanding with regards to whether a work is being successful in a particular area. How many people have we baptized? How many people have attended gospel meetings and so on and so forth? But you know, Jesus hit it right on the head at the latter part of this chapter, and we'll talk about that in just a little while. But if there are some encouraging words to be found with regards to personal evangelism, it is the words that Jesus spoke at the end of our sermon today. But those of you that were here, remember that the first four things that Jesus did are on the board. And we can look to the master teacher today and we can glean actually seven principles of personal evangelism because Jesus Christ was, was the greatest teacher of all time and ever will be. And he engaged not only in public preaching, but in also personal evangelism. But notice, the very first thing he does is he goes and he makes a very unlikely social contact. You know, the Bible says that on purpose, Jesus and his disciples passed through Samaria. And Jesus comes to the well, Jacob's well, and he comes to that well, and the Bible says that he is wearied because of his journey. You know, that's a mouthful right there. 
He was wearied about his journey. He purposely, on purpose, went and made the social contact, and he went into an area where he, by Jewish blood, would contradict every single thing that he had heard others doing that were Jews. There were those Jews that looked to the Samaritans as with great disdain for them, as mongrels and unworthy in their eyes. But Jesus is wearied from his journey, and yet... He takes the time to talk to this woman. And the Bible says as he comes there, he sits down at Jacob's well, and on the scene comes a Samaritan woman. And she comes for the purpose of drawing water. We just sang that song, and that's exactly what she comes to do. But notice, he's made a social contact with her, but he takes it a step further. He is going to establish a common interest. Now, common interests don't have to be big and grand things. They can be very, very simple things. For example, when Jesus came and established a common interest, the common interest was water. He was thirsty, and she was going there to draw water. So he's going to say something to her. He's going to say, woman, give me to drink. And now he has her attention. Why is that? Because he had a common interest of water with her, and now he being a Jew, and she knew that, and she being a woman of Samaria, mind you, and he's going to have a conversation with her that impressed her and caused her to be interested spiritually. Now you might think, well, I just don't know anybody. I don't really know anybody that I might come in contact with. I don't really know what to say. Listen, I realize as I stand before you today that not everybody has the ability to speak to others. Sometimes folks are shy. Sometimes folks don't have limited knowledge, whatever it is. Sometimes people just don't have that as one of their strong suits. But can you do this? Have you ever met somebody anywhere at any time? Have you ever talked to anybody at all, ever? Have you ever had any conversation with somebody that you didn't know prior to the conversation? Why, surely you have. That is called a social contact. Have you ever had a common interest with someone? Well, you might say, well, I'm a Christian, and the world lives in, in a lost and dying world, and I come across people in the workplace that are sinful people, immoral people, and so on and so forth. I have nothing in common with them. But listen, yes you do. You have children? Do they have children? You've got something in common. Are you a grandparent? You see another grandparent. You have something in common. Are you looking at someone that has an ailment and maybe you've had that ailment or somebody else in your family or somebody that you know? You have a common interest. Now why is it important to have a common interest? A common interest is a bridge that pulls together or ties two unrelated things or two unrelated people. And folks, listen. If we go into the world, like Jesus said we must do, and we don't establish social contacts and common interests with people that are in the world, and we just go along and the only people we associate with are other members of the body of Christ, you will never, ever, ever influence somebody for good. You will never bring anyone to Christ, and you will never have the opportunity to study with them about God's Word. Oh, we have to do it. We've got to make social contacts and common 
interests. What if you said, well, I just don't know what I would say. Let me ask you this. The way you dress, ladies, modestly, that instills or arouses an interest in those that you come in contact with. The way that a woman wears her hair is going to arouse an interest in somebody else. If somebody that you know, you're going, you're going to go about and talk about something that they've invited you to do on Sunday, and you say, wait a minute, I, I assemble with the Lord's church, I worship on Sunday, I can't go. Somebody might just ask the question, they might just say, where do you go? And now all you may be able to do is say, I go to the Church of Christ over there at 2215 Plans Road, why don't you come and join us? We'd love to have you, everyone is welcome. And if, you, if that's all you can do, you're doing your part. But Jesus aroused a spiritual interest in her by his actions first. After all, she looked to him. He's a Jewish man, and he now is having a conversation with her, and he asks of water with her. And she says, how is it that a man like you are asking me, a woman of Samaria, for water? And Jesus said, by his words now, if you knew who I was... You'd be asking me of water, and I would give you living water. I would give you the kind of water that if you drank of it, you will never, ever thirst again. There it is, a spiritual interest. You know what she says? Give it to me. Can I have it? If you've got that water that I'll never thirst again, can I have it? But notice number four. Jesus knew not to go too far too fast. Folks, I'll tell you something. When you're talking to somebody about the Lord, it's very tempting to give them the whole thing all at one time. But you have to give it to them in increments that they can digest and in increments that they can understand. If you give it too soon, too fast, you're not going to be successful. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he said to her, call thy husband. You know, when I was a kid, I thought, what in the world? Does that have to do with what they're talking about? Maybe you've always understood that passage. I have not always understood that passage. But I believe what he's talking about and what the idea is here is not going too far too fast. You know why? He knew she needed the Messiah. But he also knew that she needed proof and she needed conviction that he was the Messiah. So he established it by saying, go and get thy husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, he says, that's right. In fact, you've had five, and the one that's with you now is not your husband. And she knew that he was a prophet. He established some ground rules and some ground now, and she, he's built himself up to the position as the one who can give her living water where life comes from. But number five, and that's the next thing, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. When I write this on the board, I'll spend a little time on this on number five. But that is, don't condemn unnecessarily. Now, is it true that sin will keep a person out of heaven? Absolutely. Isn't it true that if somebody is living an immoral life in the world, that God hates those kind of lifestyles? The answer to that question is emphatically and 100% Yes, but did you know, or I'm sure you do, maybe you haven't realized it in a while, but listen, we as in society, as human beings, we categorize or classify various types of sin. 
We look at it like this. An immoral person is worse than a little white liar. And an immoral person's not as bad as a thief. That's the uh, emphasis we place a lot of times on money and possessions. And a thief is not as bad as a murderer. But I'm going to tell you something. You can be a murderer or a little white liar, and if you have never had the blood of Jesus applied at baptism, you're in exactly the same place. You're in exactly the same position. And Jesus could have spent and dwelt all manner of time on her immoral life, but he didn't. He talked about his offer of living water. He talked about the fact that when one would have this living water, they will never thirst again. He's talking about salvation. Here's my point. When Jesus says, I came not to judge, but, or, and I came not to condemn, but I came to save, and I came to call those that are, that are living in a lost and dying world, I came to call them toward their salvation and all of that. Jesus, when he was here before, did just that. He's left his word, and we need to do the same. But make no mistake, there's going to come a day when Jesus will not be the Lamb of God, when Jesus will not be our go-between, when he will not be who he is now over his kingdom. There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to be the judge, and he's going to sit on his throne, and he's worthy of such, for he was the one with the nail prints in his hands. And Jesus is going to be on his throne and he's going to judge the world. You know, I don't know if there's going to be discussion at the judgment. I'll just tell you what I've read. I've read, like, for example, in Matthew 25, various scholars discussing the idea of the judgment scene. And really, there's a difference of opinion whether or not there's actually going to be a discussion on that last and final day. Like, for example, when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ shall rise and all that, and here we are before the judgment seat of Christ, and Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats and so on and so forth, are we going to be able to have a conversation with him back and forth? I don't know. But Matthew 25, another scholar said, is what would be said if there was actually conversations happening on that day. And I say this, the, most I, the more I've studied that idea, the less I know, I'm not sure, but I do know this for a fact. I do know for a fact it's a day of sentencing. I do also know as a fact that death seals your fate. I know that too. I also know and believe with all my heart that where you go when you die is the place that is, it, it is prepared for you whether you are lost or whether you are saved. So if you're saved when you die, I believe you know that when you die. And if you're lost when you die, I believe you know that too when you die. But Jesus says now before that time, you preach the word of God to them. And it doesn't make any difference the specific sins that are in the world. It makes no difference because sin is sin and any sin of any kind at any time that is not repented of or taken away, washed away at baptism, will cause someone to lose their soul. In our evangelistic efforts, we preach against sin. We surely do. 
We stand for the things that are righteous, and we stand for the things that are right. Absolutely. And we never, ever, ever want somebody to feel comfortable in their sinful lifestyle. Because if people feel comfortable in their sinful lifestyle, and if they really do, you're giving them no reason to change. And we know that if they don't change their lifestyle, if they don't change their way, they're going to lose their soul in a devil's hell. And I don't care if it's a little white liar or a mass murderer. That's that's just the way it is. They need the blood of Jesus, and we need to take the gospel to those that are lost. And it does not make any difference whatever sin they've committed before they've gone down into the waters of baptism. Now, once they come up out of the waters of baptism and we get that straightened out, now the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Rome in the, in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, he says that we are transformed into something else. And how do we do that? Continually renewing our mind with the Word of God. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul further states there that if you are risen with Christ, or when you are risen from the waters of baptism with Christ, now it's time to seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections on things above, and not on things of the earth. Our focus, though is to inform others about the forgiveness that God offers. You ever talk to somebody that's lived a pretty, oh, I don't know how to put it, they've lived a hard life, they've been carried away in sin most of their life, maybe they've done some awful things. I'm going to tell you something, there's no greater person in the world to convert and somebody like that. And you don't focus on the specific sin in their life. You focus on forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've sat there across from a dining room table and had people just start bawling right there. Because never in their wildest dreams did they ever believe that they would ever be able to wash all that away. And put that all behind them. What a wonderful thing it is. When somebody comes... To repentance. We have the message that will help them to not be lost in a devil's hell. Take the message to the lost. Next though, if you have ever talked to anybody about the Bible, you will know exactly what I'm saying right now. And this is imperative. You must stick with the main issue. Do you remember when she asks him, he speaks about her husband. Oh, she might have been a little uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, she wants to talk about worship. She took a little detour, but he brings her right back. He answers her question, and then he brings her right back on who he is that's coming and what he offers. Interesting, isn't it? If you study the Bible with anybody, do not let them take little excursions. Do not let them pull away and go off into, in this territory over here or go off on that territory over there. Now, i got to tell you, be very honest with you, this is not a problem with me because, really, I have a very big mouth. And I have a, I'm a very outspoken guy, and I'm rather loud. I don't have a problem with channeling people and bringing them back on focus. But what if you weren't as annoying as I am? What if that was the case? What if you were just as pleasant as can be, and you were a person that was soft-spoken and shy? What about that? Just say this. Stop them. That's a great point. 
That's a great question. That's a great topic. One that deserves its due. Let's do this, though. We'll get to that one later on another time, but first, we need to go back to the main issue. If we don't do that, you will study the Bible with someone and you will get nowhere. They'll be all over the map. you got to stick with the main issue. Back to our text in the fourth chapter of the book of John. Notice there in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Notice how Jesus responds to that. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father's seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me just say this, too. This is just a helpful hint, and I'm going to let you in on something. I freely admit that I will and have and always will. I have stood on the shoulders of successful men. You better believe it. I will stand on the shoulders of successful men, and I do not have a pride of authorship. I don't care if I originated the idea or the thought. If somebody's been successful doing something in the cause of Christ, I'm going to copy it. I want to find out what that guy's doing. I want to find out. I don't want to be one like this. Well, I think I'm doing as much as somebody else. I think I'm doing as good as most Christians do. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that wants to follow someone that has had greater success than I have ever had. And I want to do what he did. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to follow what he has done. So, what I'm about to tell you is something that I use all the time. And I didn't originate it. I got it from another preacher. And here it is a number of years ago. What I've learned is I often struggled in a Bible study with someone over baptism and over their interpretation of whether they were baptized correctly or not in time past. Now when you're sitting there, and I don't mean to call out names, but I need to give you an example because this doctrine does not believe in baptism as being essential for salvation. The Baptist folks, our Baptist friends that we come in contact with, they believe that a person is saved before they're baptized, and therefore when they're baptized, they're only baptized into the Baptist church. There's a great way, and I'm sure there are other ways too, maybe you have other ways, but this is a great way to never go down that problem and get caught in the trap. Sit down, sit back, pull the guard down and say, are you saved I'm going to tell you something. They're going to say one of a couple of things. Most people will say this. Yes, I am. I think I am. Or I really hope so. But very few people are, are going to say, no, I'm going to hell on a freight train. Very few people are going to say that. Most are going to say, yes, I am. I think I am. Or I sure hope I am and get them to commit to that answer. And if they say, yeah, or I hope so, or I think so, it's time now for you to sit back 
and asked them this, would you share with me when that happened and how that happened? Now you're interested in them and they know that. You sit back and they start telling you. Well, one day I just accepted the Lord. I was driving down the road and there was a religious program on the radio and when it came to, uh, on, I listened to it and, and I, it said accept Jesus and I did and I, and I was saved that day. Don't mention baptism yet at all. When they commit to that, listen carefully and attentively and show them that respect and courtesy and then say this, thank you for sharing that with me, such a personal thing in your life. Would it be okay if I shared with you how I was saved? Sure. You've listened to them, now they're going to listen to you. And that's the time that you take this Bible. That's the time that you take the New Testament and you preach unto them Jesus. And every single place that you go to when it shows that a person was saved at baptism in immersion with water to rise to walk in newness of life by the authority of Jesus Christ added to his church, when you do that, they're going to say, now wait a minute, everything that he's saying he did, I did not do. But the Bible says that's what you got to do in order to be saved. And that's when you can bring them along and share with them how you really are saved. And now they know I'm not. How do I know that? Folks, I stubbed my toe one time. I spoke to a pe person for over two hours, and I didn't do it that way. And I just went to baptism. I went to pounding baptism. Here it was after two hours. Oh, I was baptized. I, I, I did that. Yes, but this is baptism for the remission of sins. Here it is. Isn't that why everybody gets baptized? That's what I thought I was doing. But let me ask you this. Did they put you on a waiting list and two weeks later have 25 of you line up and go down and get baptized two or three weeks after you decided to do it? Yeah, that's what happened. And then you tell them this. Well, if they believed it was necessary for salvation, they'd have taken you the same hour of the night like the Bible says, but they didn't believe that it was necessary for salvation. Now, that might work, but I've had it not work still. And I've had people say, well, I believe that's why I was baptized. Where do you go from there? Establish that first and stick with the main issue. Don't go off in every different direction. Keep them on focus. Keep them on the right issue. Keep them from bouncing around and jumping ahead and lead the study where you want that to go. Next, though, and lastly, there was something that Jesus did. She asked for it before he got there. This was something that actually happened. She wanted it. He knew it wasn't time, and he goes through 25 verses of text before he tells her in verse 26, I am he. And that's the last point. When you do all of this, then confront directly. You know, I hate to reduce preaching the word of God to people to a common example like sales. I don't know how else to put it, though. I've known people in sales that could give a great presentation. In fact, they could give a presentation so good that they gave it over and over and over again, and they wouldn't stop and close. And therefore, they sold nothing. They wore the person out. When they were interested, now they no longer are, and you've lost a sale. 
But you know, I'll tell you something. With regards to studying the Bible with people, you have to be direct when it's time. You have to be specific when it's time. And you have to close, hate to say that word, but you have to close when it's time. Let me just say this to you, too. I held a meeting one time, and during the course of that meeting, there were two brothers, and they, one of them was a, a young fellow that they just, they couldn't keep out of the water. He wanted, he was so interested, he wanted to get baptized for years, even when he was a little tiny guy, so that was easy. But what about the brother? The brother was several years older than he was, and I couldn't understand. His whole family was raised in the church. They had come to services their whole life, and yet the older son showed no interest, apparently, in obeying the gospel. And I thought, well, how odd is that? I asked a few of the members, what does he say when you talk to him? You know what they said? Bless their heart. They said, we don't want to discourage him or push him. So we're waiting for him to come around. Joe Heisel was holding a meeting in Lodi. I don't know the kid's name, but this, I guess this young fellow was huge, big, stocky kid. You know what Joe did? He walks right. He knew the kid was ready. He knew the kid was down here ready for number seven. And you know what he does? He walks up and says, you may not get another man my size that's big enough to baptize a kid your size in a long time, so why don't we do it today? Okay. When I talked to this fellow that I'm speaking about, I said, how come you're not, why aren't you obeying the gospel? Are you saved in your condition? He said, no. I said, if the Lord came back today, would you lose your soul? He said, yes. I said, do you want to go to hell? He said, no. And I said, well, why haven't you obeyed the gospel? And this is what he said. I'm waiting to be worthy. Oh, if he would have asked that, made that statement years before, maybe we wouldn't have had a, uh, all this trouble. And I said, well, if that's it, none of us are getting in because none of us are worthy. And you will never get there, and I'm not there, and I've been a member of the Lord's church for 30 years, and I'm not there, and never will be. Nobody is worthy of what Jesus did for us and his offer of salvation. No one. That was enough. Okay. You want to do it? Sure. Want to get baptized now? Yes. Baptized him on the last day of the meeting. There does come a time when you must confront directly, but don't confront directly until you've done all of these. You've got to build a little rapport. Let me just give you a little example to show you kind of how this really works in, in a practical case. Doyle Elliott called me the other day, the other evening on the phone. He said, Frank, he said, would you be interested in going to see an, an elderly couple that lives out in the southwest by kind of where the church building is uh, over there? I said, sure, let's go. So we set it up, and this fellow was 89 turning 90, and he has no legs. He was a diabetic, and his legs were removed. He's bedridden. He is in a hospital bed. Here's the connection, though. Here's the social contact. It goes all the way back to when he lived in Lebanon, Missouri. He's heard Ronnie Wade and saw Ronnie Wade on television programs. He's come to gospel meetings. He's a Baptist, but he's come to gospel meetings, and he loves music. So naturally, you go to one of our big meetings, and he just loved the singing. And he's always said for years, I would love to go to the Church of Christ. Well, now he's in bed, and I don't know if that's ever possible. They're going to rig up some sort of special harness-type thing to get him in a wheelchair, and maybe he'll come. I don't know. We go to see this man. I have nothing in common with him, nothing whatsoever. Doyle doesn't either, except 
the brethren back there that knew this man when they were neighbors. That's it. So what do they do? You know, Doyle, he can just sit down and start talking, and he did. And I'm glad. And Nancy started talking to this elderly lady, and here, here was I over in the corner just, just sitting there, not doing a thing. But my time was about to come. And as they talked and as the guards came down, they made a social contact. They made a common interest of Missouri and Ronnie Wade and the singing in the Church of Christ. The spiritual interest was aroused because they started talking about preachers. Frank's a preacher. Oh, is he? Now I'm sweetheart from this little old lady. Now I got a friend. And before we left, we were praying together. And they wanted me to pray with them, and we did. And you know what else they said? I didn't know these people from anywhere. But I said, let me ask you this. I hate to be so personal, but did your husband lose his legs because of diabetes? And she said, yes, that's right. I said, my dad had that. And we got in a wonderful conversation. Now we're old friends. And you know what they said? You bring that Greg Gay by, we talked about that, when he's here holding the meeting, he's got Missouri ties too, we'll have a great time. And if we can go to the meeting, we're, we're coming, if I can figure out a way to get there. But if not, would you bring me a recording of all the singing and all the preaching? And at the very end, as we walked out, they said, please come back. One hour. One hour invested. Now, I'll tell you, it wasn't time to close. They are at the very beginning. We were building up some, as I like to say, equity. We were building up a rapport. We were building a bridge into their life. And I don't know what the outcome will be. I really don't. But it may be wonderful. I don't know. We just have to do our part. That's what the Lord expects, your part. That's it. But finally, when you get down to here, what do you say? Well, I know one thing. You don't say this. You don't really want to get baptized today, do you? I know it's not that. What is it that we say? I didn't originate this idea. I say something along this line. Any form of this, I would imagine, will do four things. Here it is. Ask them when you get to the point, and it's time now. Ask them, does this make sense to you? If it doesn't make sense to them, ask them what doesn't make sense, and then go and address that and take care of that issue. But if they say this makes total sense, go to the next question. Is there anything that we have talked about that you don't understand? And if they say, well, I didn't really understand the point that you made about X, Y, or Z, then you go back and discuss that. If they say, no, I understand all of it, you move on to number three. And here it is. Notice how you start bringing it around. Have I been teaching you anything other than what the Bible teaches? Well, no. Everything that you've said is right from the Bible. And then here it is. Here's the directly part. Ask him this. Would you like to obey Christ now? Did you get that? Obey Christ. Now, by being baptized for the remission of your sins. If folks say no to that, what did they just say no to? I'm not going to obey Christ now. I believe everything you said was in the Bible, but I'm rejecting it. And I'm going to leave this place, and I'm not going to have the forgiveness of my sins. All you were was the messenger 
putting it out to them. And that's it. But in conclusion, let me just say this. You know, the result of the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman was a conversation that many people of the city of Sychar benefited from. In John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42. Many people benefited because of his efforts in personal evangelism. You will never know the far-reaching influence of what will come when you talk to somebody about the Lord. You never know. But the point is, Jesus says, don't look and say the harvest is four months away and so on and so forth. No, he says the fields are white unto harvest now. But then he gives us some very encouraging words. He says, you're going to reap where other men have sowed. He said, some have sowed and some will reap. That's all we do. I realize in the Philippines we reaped a wonderful harvest, but listen, there was a lot of sowing going on too. But you know what the best part is? The best part? Don and I didn't leave feeling great about ourselves. No, we knew this. All those people that have done everything that they could to get those people to come and attend and talk to them about the Lord, they were in it with us all the way. And you know what else? Oh, this is the greatest part. This is why we don't get discouraged. We all rejoice together. If you've talked to somebody about the Lord one time in your life and you planted a seed, you've sowed a seed, 20 years later they obeyed the gospel, you had something to do with that. You had something to do with that. Don't be discouraged if we don't see results. Realize this. The Word of God has the power to save. How do we know that? We know that because all over the world people are still obeying the gospel. If we focus in not on our numbers, but on our work, are we talking to people? Are we preaching the gospel? If we're doing that, we're doing our part. And if we can say that we've done that, someday, somehow, oh, we'll reap, we will reap what others have sowed, and we will sow and others will reap. But on that last and final day, we can say, we talked to them, we did our part. And we will never hear the words, you never mentioned him to me. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.